Welcome to CCO Podcast, calling college students to serve Jesus Christ with their entire lives. I'm going to talk about, we're going to do as much as we can with, with regards to Q&A um, in a little bit. We're going to do, you're going to, you will do a little bit of work. So I'm going to burn through uh, the material part of this um, relatively quickly uh, so that we can actually engage and talk because I'm actually more so interested in what's happening in you in this context. We're going to talk about rest and uh, and specifically the practice of Sabbath. Uh, I'm going to jump to this bad boy real quick and uh, I'm going to use the slideshow. Um, when I talk about um, Sabbath, the, the name of the workshop initially was called Sabbath or Die, which is kind of funny, but also I'm sort of serious about it. Um, and before I get into that, I'm going to talk, when I talk about the Sabbath practice, I think the Sabbath practice is the key to spiritual living. And here's what I mean by spiritual living or a way to talk about spiritual living. Kind of an anecdote. Uh, there's this young man who, um, who comes to his, his uh, spiritual director or his priest or his pastor, whatever it works for you. And he walks in and he says to him, he says, listen, I, I don't know what's going on, but uh, like every night, uh, I like I lay down on my bed and I normally just that's when I reflect on my day. I sit down, I, I lay in my bed I, and I, like, I run through, you know, run through my day in my head. And more recently, I lay down and I start to run through my day and I just feel this dread like right right here. It's like I feel it physically. It's like it's like a, it's a weight and it's a pressure. It's like a burning. And I feel like something's really wrong with my relationship with God. Something's wrong with me spiritually because every time I lay down and start thinking through my day, I have this pressure, this this pain right here in my chest. And the pastor says, can you tell me more about that? Like when did it start? It was a few weeks ago. You know, it's, it's, it's awful. He says, uh, he says, yeah, it's like, you know, when, when uh, you know, he goes, you know that story, pastor? He goes, you know that story in, in which like the disciples, they meet Jesus and then he's talking and then, and they say like their hearts burned within them, like, but it's a positive thing for them. He goes, yeah, it's like, he goes, it's, he goes, it's just like that, but it's like, it, it's, it's negative. It does not feel good. And as the young man's talking, this, this pastor priest slides out of his chair and, and the young man thinks that the, that the pastor is going to get on his knees and pray. So the young man slides out of his chair and kneels down and puts his hands up to receive a prayer. And instead, this pastor priest like leans over and reaches into his satchel and he pulls out, pulls out a, a bottle of antacids. And he says, son, you have heartburn. And he hands the man the bottle of, uh, of, of antacids. I'm going to suggest that that's a spiritual moment. That to think spiritually about our lives is not to segment one part of our lives off in a corner so that we have our social lives over here, our scholastic lives, our work lives, um, uh, you know, our like our creative lives, and then over here, our spiritual lives. I want to suggest that to think spiritually about our lives, to be spiritual persons, is to, is to recognize that God considers every element, every aspect of our lives as vital and as important. That to think spiritually is to think of my entire life as important to God, to recognize the, 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 the essential nature of the entirety of my life, that there isn't a square inch of my entire life that is not in some way, shape, or form divinely inspired, divinely held, and divinely important. Having said that, I don't think that there is a practice that leads us to that kind of thinking quite as effectively, as consistently, as deeply as the practice of Sabbath. Now, 
when I talk about Sabbath, here's what I mean by Sabbath. What I mean by Sabbath is one whole day of rest from work without obligation every week committed to God. That's what I mean by the practice of Sabbath. And as I, as I say that, I hope you feel what I feel still and what I certainly felt when I started talking about or hearing about the practice of Sabbath is, boy, that's a lot. <laughs> One whole day of rest from work without obligation every week committed to God. That seems maybe impossible. Contextually, so you know where I'm coming from, your students uh, you have a schedule that is put on you by the institution where you're going to school. If you have a job outside of that, it's put on you by your workplace. You also probably have part of your schedule that's made up by family and like the obligation that you have to other social elements in your life. So the idea of pulling 52 days a week, 50, 50 day, 52, day, 52 days a year off the calendar that is available to none of those things. Not available to school, not available to work, not available to non-life-giving friends. There's just 52 days a week that's just you in rest committed to God. Sounds not just daunting, but maybe even impossible. Just so you get where I'm coming from, I'm not coming from the mountaintop where I'm like, get it done or else you're not spiritual. Here's where I'm coming from. Uh, like I said, I started I started a, my my career in music, music art and ministry in 1998. Um, I don't know, sitting right here in front of you, I don't know how I'm going to be making a living three to five months from now. I actually have no idea. I'm trusting that I will, but that's also been true since 1998. When I branched out on my own, planted a church, started playing music and making art, I couldn't tell you mathematically for sure how I was going to, like, how I was going to make a living uh, three or five months out. That's actually been true since 1998. So when, in my mind, I'm commanded, we'll get to, get to this as a set, the Sabbath is commanded, I'm commanded to take 52 work days off the calendar every year. That seems not just daunting, it seems impossible. I want you to know where I'm coming from when I talk about this. I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's like, it's just a simple, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's not an easy thing, but it has actually saved my life. Um, I also didn't come to it because I like I read the scriptures and I was like, hey, Sabbath, sounds great, let's do it. I didn't do it for the longest time, um, and this is how I came to the practice of Sabbath. I was exhausted, like super exhausted, very tired. And my wife read an excerpt uh, from this book. She was reading a magazine, and in the magazine is an excerpt from this book. The book is called The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring the Sabbath by a guy named Mark Buchanan. And she reads this excerpt and she goes, you should read this excerpt. And I was like, I don't have time to read an excerpt about rest because I'm working. It's literally the conversation. She, so she's like, well, I'm going to order the book. So she orders the book. And she's like, I, I read the book. You should read the book. I'm like, I don't, I can't read the book because I'm reading other stuff to prep for all this other stuff. I, I have too much work to do. Just give me the, what, what, you know, what's, what are the cliff notes? She goes, okay, this is what we'll do. I'm not going to give you the cliff notes, but we're going to try this Sabbath thing out. I was like, okay. So she says seven weeks out. She, she, she points at a Saturday on the calendar. Seven weeks from now, on this Saturday, we're going to try to practice the Sabbath. I was like, okay, great. Sounds fine. Whatever. Later that afternoon, I get an email. I, I can find an email from a friend of mine. He's like, what are you doing on this weekend? And it's the weekend that she just pointed out, seven weeks out. And I was like, I got nothing. I have nothing planned. He's like, can you be in Kansas City? I'm like, yes, I can be in Kansas City. Because it's work. And I have to work in order to hold my life together. Hear me say that real quick, because I'm going to come back to it. I have to work in order to hold my life together. So I take this job and I tell Amy, who's my wife, I said, hey, 
I'm really sorry. Like, I know you had a thing planned, but like, I got a job offer, so I'm going to go to Kansas City to this weekend of like speaking and music and stuff. She's like, okay, so you know, what's it? What's it about? I'm like, I don't really know. So a couple weeks later, I, I, I email Dan, who's the pastor of the church, who's inviting me to Kansas City that weekend. I said, so just so I can plan, um, let me know. Like, what am I? You know, what am I planning for? What are we doing that weekend? He goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, so you're gonna be like doing some music. We'll do some conversation. Uh, the staff and I, we just read this book by a guy named Mark Buchanan. It's called The Rest of God. <laughs> restoring Your Soul by Restoring the Sabbath. Like, shut up. So he's like, I'll send you a copy of the book. I'm like, you, you go ahead and do that. So he sends me the copy of the book. I super don't read it. Um, I just read like the, I read the back of the book and like the last chapter. Watch me say this real quick. I read the back of the book and the last chapter. I read just enough to get a gist of the idea so that I can do the work which is pretty much how my spiritual life was working, is I just need to get enough done so that I can stay functional. So I don't read the book. I read the back. I get to Kansas City. We do the weekend. And in between services on the Sunday, he's like, hey, man, you're tired. I'm like, yeah, and whatever. It, being tired is like, it's just part of being an adult. And he's like, why don't we do this, man? Why don't, instead of you flying home on Monday, why don't you stay and do this rest thing? I was like, you know what? Actually, that sounds great. He goes, you know, I'll get you, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll eat your plane ticket. I'll get you a room. You just stay and take a day of rest. I'm like, that sounds fantastic. Later that afternoon, I get a text on my phone from my buddy Kirk. And he's like, are you available this week? And I said, uh, yeah, I am. I said, he goes, can you get to Nashville? I said, yeah, I can get to Nashville. When do you need me there? He goes, I need you there tomorrow. Can you be there tomorrow? I was like, actually, funny thing. I'm actually, I'm in the middle of the country already. I'm actually, I'm, and I'm in Kansas City. I could totally be there tomorrow. He's like, great. I need you in Nashville tomorrow morning at this time. So I go to Dan and I said, hey man, I appreciate your offer. Thank you so much for, <laughs> for inviting me to rest. But I just got a job offer and I got to get to Nashville. He's like, oh man, that's kind of a bummer. I'm like, well, you know, I got to work because that's how I hold my life together. Yeah, there's my work. He's like, what is it? I was like, I don't really know. I just know I'm supposed to be there like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He's like, oh, okay, well, sorry, man. So I'm, I'm in the airport in the morning on, on Monday and I'm, I'm getting, getting ready to go there and I'm texting Kirk, who's the guy who just invited me to come to Nashville. I'm like, hey, just so you, like I can prep, like what is it? He goes, yeah, you're going to be song leading. We lost our song leader. Uh, you're going to be song leading for this artist retreat here in Nashville for all these like songwriters and artists. I said, oh, okay, cool. So what's, what's, the, what's the retreat about? He goes, yeah. So we, uh, we flew in this author. His name is Mark Buchanan. He just wrote this book called uh, The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring the Sabbath. I was like, shh. <laughs> so like, that would be funny enough if that's where it ends. But God's just so funny because when I get there, I get to the retreat center. I walk in. I've got my guitar. I'm ready to go. And I look across the retreat center. And the guy, the musician they originally hired to be there is there. His name is Matthew. He's standing there. He's got all his, he's got his, his song sheets laid out. He's got his guitar. He's plugged in. He's ready to go. I'm like, bro, what are you doing here? He goes, no, bro. What are you doing here? I said, they told me that you weren't coming. He goes, yeah, I don't know where that rumor came from. I never said anything about not being here. <laughs> so now... Like this book that's been chasing me around for months. God just put me in a room with the author of the book. Like God was like, oh, do you want a job? Do you want a job? No job. Just rest. So like, like I'm like, I got suckered. Like, like Jesus suckered me into being at a retreat for artists about rest. So I'm sitting there with nothing to do. And Mark Buchanan gets up there and he says, I, and he says this line. He says, I'm going to assume 
that you love what you're doing to this room of artists, including me. And then he said this, if you want to love what you're doing and do what you love long term, you have to learn to not do it. And I'd never heard anything like it. And then he said this, um, the most burned out people I know are people who do what they love. Because eventually the thing you do that you love becomes a burden and then you begin to resent the thing that you love doing for stealing life from you and that is a terrible dark place to be. He said, the most burned out people I know are pastors, they're artists, they're musicians who don't know how to not work. Um, I've been now doing this, what I do in art and ministry for 20 years and I can say without question that the thing that saves my life, the things that save, the thing that saves my life is things that saves me from being resentful towards myself, towards my work, towards the people I work with and for is that I practice rest. That in order to do what I've done for 20 years, I've had to learn to not do it. Coming back, I think the Sabbath is a practice. Before we get into the commandment part, the Sabbath is a practice. And when I say practice, here's what I think about. I think about this article by... Um, David Brooks a number of years ago about baseball. He shows up at a baseball game an hour ahead of time. And if you show up at a major league baseball game an hour, or an hour and a half ahead of time, what you see on the field is practice. The person playing third base at this Dodgers game uh, that where David Brooks was was a guy named Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent at the time was one of the league's best infielders. He was, he was playing third base. Uh, he was 38 years old. He'd been playing in the league for a lot of years. And he's still at 38 like one of the best infielders of baseball. Just great instincts, cannon of an arm, arms and legs for days. So there's Jeff Kent, 38 years old, and he's practicing. There's a coach at home plate hitting a ball out towards third plate, third, third, third base. Kent would slide over, pick up the ball, throw it to first base, and then get back in a ready position over and over again. You've seen this drill. And what strikes Brooks as he's watching this is that Kent started playing baseball when he was six. And he's been playing baseball for the all 32 years, which means he's run that drill since he was six years old. He is now a millionaire who is one of the best in the world at what he does, and he's still running the same drill at six, same drill at 38 that he was running and he was six. And there are kids across town in Los Angeles that day who are six, seven, eight years old who are running the same drill as Kent. Why, Brooks says, does someone who is that good at this run a drill that simple over and over again? Why continue to practice? And then it hits him this, that when a baseball comes off a bat in a major league ball game, it's going somewhere between 85 and 125 miles an hour. Unless you play for the Oakland Athletics, um, and then it's usually like 15 or 20 miles an hour, slow dribbler. Um, but if you're standing at third base, you are like 100 feet away. The ball's coming at you at 90 miles an hour. You don't have time to think about what you're going to do. Your body simply has to react and respond. Here's how I'm going to make this connection. Now, I'm going to say something that like – and I'm going to suggest that if you have a notebook – or something to write down with, as I'm working through, if something strikes you as, I don't believe that, I don't know that, if something strikes you as I want to hear more about that, or you want some questions, write them down as I move through so that we can get to your questions in a few minutes. Here's the thing I want to say that I really actually do believe. I think most of us, on most days, because of the life we live, because we're Americans, 
because of the privileges we live with, most of us, most of us do not have a felt need for the goodness, the strength, the grace of God on most days. We don't have a felt need for it. We can say we want it. We can say we need it. But we don't have a felt need for the grace, for the power, for the, for the goodness of God on most days because we can get by and just take care of ourselves, which is how we mostly live. Until the day comes when we actually do need it. And when I do need it, when something goes wrong, when something goes left, when something falls through, when the divorce happens, when the cancer diagnosis comes, when the failure in class goes down, when the when COVID hits, when the thing comes through that actually disorients my life, you know what I don't want to be doing? I don't want to be trying to figure out how to depend on the grace or the goodness of God. I want to be so practiced at that, that when things go sideways, my body, my soul, my heart, my mind simply live in that posture. Sabbath is potentially the only way we really learn to live in a posture of dependency and connection with the goodness, the grace of God, in which I no longer get to say that it's my work that holds my life together. What I get to say is it is the grace and the goodness of God that holds my life together. And I can work in that context. That only comes by way of practice. And I'm going to go so far as to say, I think that only goes, only comes by way of practicing the Sabbath practice. Um, it is a commandment. <laughs> it's a commandment. It's not like a, hey, here's an option. It's a commandment. And look where it is. It's the fourth commandment. Y'all, it comes before killing folks. <laughs> like, before God says, don't stab someone in the neck with a knife, God says, take a day off. It comes before stealing things and killing things. Like, and it's almost as if, like, if we took more days off, maybe we wouldn't kill people as much. Like, there's something to it. And if you look at the placement of the commandment, these first three commandments, you, have, you shall have no other gods before me. That's about the nature and the character of God. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. This is, again, about the nature, the holiness, the character, and the shape of God. You shall not even misuse the name of the Lord your God. This is, again, about the holiness, the goodness, the uniqueness of God. All first three commandments are about the character and the holiness of God. The very first commandment that has anything to do with our behavior in light of who God is, is take a day off Sabbath. It's the first one. And if you look at the actually way it's structured, it says, remember the Sabbath. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this red section here. But it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Um, I'm going to come back to this. So uh, the Sabbath is an invitation to stop. And as we stop, we can regain renewal, rest, and replenishment so that we can live our lives more fully. Like I said, I'm going to burn through this. Um, Remember, come, we're going to come back to this, but if you look again at the commandment, it says, remember the Sabbath. Hold on to that word, remember, for a second. Now, before we get to the, you know, the, 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 the practice of remembrance, part of what I think that the writer of Genesis, the, the, the writer of the commandments is doing when, when, when they write, remember the Sabbath, is that it's not just a thing that's being commanded anew. That rest is a thing that's actually woven into the fabric of the universe. It's woven into the fabric of creation, in fact. So um, I'm going to go here and read this. So thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the multitude and on the seventh, seventh day, God finished all the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God rested on the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Look at the pattern here in the poetry. And anytime you see this kind of repetition, this kind of poetic repetition, particularly in the Old, in the Old Testament, the writer is trying to say something really specific. But look at the pattern. Finished, finished, done, done, done. This is in the process of creation. This is in the act of creation. Finish, finish, done, done, done. In my life, 
if I'm just doing the math on the projects that I'm and the projects that I'm doing, the work that I'm doing, I never feel, and again, this is the feeling, I never feel like I'm finished, finished, done, done, done. Anybody with me? Like I never feel like I'm finished, finished, and are you ever done? I never feel, which says to me, is God at the end of this process exhausted? Did God be like, oh my gosh, the platypus, what an absolute disaster. I, I'm just, I'm toast. Is that what happened? Or does God choose rest as an aspect of the creative process? Does God choose rest? Because I think that's the shape of things. And if I'm invited to be like God, if I'm invited to live in the shape of God, then I need to recognize that rest is a choice I have to and get to make. It can't just be the thing I do when I'm exhausted. Hear me say it again. Rest can't just be the thing I do when I'm exhausted. If I want to live like Christ, if I want to live in the shape of the one who made me, rest has to be a regular chosen practice in my life. I am not a machine. I'm a human being created in the likeness of God who rested on the seventh day in the practice of creation. Um, a bunch of years ago when, uh, we found out we were having a kid. My, uh, we had to move, uh, like displace an office space in my house and, and put a shelving unit into the space. Like I had to like make room for a baby. It's a, there's a, a whole human being coming. And I, I don't, I had to put shelves up. I'm not, I'm not an awful handy person, but I'm not like really great at handy stuff. So I called my buddy Jesse to come over on this Saturday to help. This is not my house, by the way. This is a, an image I stole from the Google. I wish that was my house. And all those books will be provided by Byron Borger. Um, so I like I, 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 I call Jesse. I'm like, can you come over on Saturday? Help me put this sh- shelving unit together in the house or in the, in the room where the baby's going to be. And he said, yeah, sure. So I block out like three and a half hours uh, to build the shelving unit. Jesse, who's the super handy guy, he comes over and he's done in 45 minutes. I had like packed lunches, like I had like a cooler with like lunches, with like sandwiches. Like I had this whole thing planned. We're gonna like eat sandwiches. I like I brought my tools. I have a few. I have this screwdriver with an orange handle. And I was like ready to hand. He didn't need it. He didn't need my screwdriver, and he didn't have a sandwich. He's like, "Hey, I'm done." It's 45 minutes in. He's like, "I'm done. I'm gonna go," which leaves me with this dilemma, right? And the dilemma is, do I or do I not eat Jesse's sandwich? And yes, in fact, I do. I eat JC sandwich. The actual dilemma is this, and I think you'll you'll recognize this even where you're at in your life, is I had planned, I'd blocked out three and a half hours. I was done in 45 minutes. I have all this extra time. And what my brain wants to do is like, what other productive crap can I, can I cram into this extra time I have? And something like wisdom got a hold of my heart and said, why don't you just stop and enjoy the moment? So I pulled the chair up and I grabbed Jesse's sandwich and I sat down and started eating the sandwich. And I'm looking at the shelving unit and I'm like, this, honestly, I'm like, this looks great. Like, it looks great. He, he even like secured it against the wall with these extra brackets. I'm like, this is amazing. This would not have happened if it was just me. Thank God for Jesse. And then it struck me. I'm like, no, no, actually, God, thank you for Jesse. Thank you for his friendship. Thank you that he was willing to come over here and do something that other people get paid for. And he sacrificed his time. Like I recognized the gift of my friend in a way that I would not have recognized the gift of my friend had I just moved on from the project to the next project. Y'all with me so far? Like I stopped in the moment to recognize the gift I had just received. I would have missed seeing that gift if I would have just moved on to the next project. And I think that happens all the time. 
So I started in. I was like, thank you for Jesse. Thank you for his wife, Andrea. Thank you for their friends. And it's not just them. Like, they're great friends. And so, like, Stav and Darren are great friends. I'm surrounded by these great friends. I live in this wonderful neighborhood. And I just started taking in all of the really, really good things going on in my life. And I recognize somewhere in the midst of this that I have never stopped regularly to receive how stupid good my life is. Y'all with me? I just had not practiced stopping and paying attention to how good I've got it. Here's why that's important. One is your life is a gift. Treat it that way. The world around you does not want you to treat your life like a gift. The world around you wants you to treat your life like a freaking project, which means when you're done with this one, you move on to the next one because you must accomplish. The gift of God is that you get to live your life, period. And the only way we actually get to enjoy it is if we stop long enough to look back and see how good we've had it up to now. Which brings me to the second part of stopping in the practice of Sabbath. I told you a minute ago, I really don't know, I don't know how I'm going to be making a living three to five months from now. I actually have no idea. You know what I do know, though? I know that he's always been good up till now. Somebody say amen. I know that he's been good up to now. You and I will never, ever be able to do the math well enough about what we have on hand to be to feel really secure about our future. You're just never going to ha- be able to do the math. You're never going to look at what you've got on hand and, and look at your plans and feel so secure in your plans to look in the future and just trust that you're going to be okay. It'll never, you'll always have questions about whether it's going to work. You'll always have worries about who's going to go with you. There will always be questions and worries in the future. What you can always do, though, is you can look back and look at how well you've been taken care of up till now. One of the gifts of the scriptures is we get to look back over the course of history and see the way God has always cared for God's people so that we would trust God in history and then project the goodness of God into our future. The only way to do that is to stop and look back on our own week to receive the gifts from the last week, last month, maybe even the last day, so that tomorrow is not so daunting. The Sabbath, therefore, uh, where is the thing? Is an invitation to stop and remember that God is good and that you have been given a good life. Uh, That's from a great book. Let's go to this real quick. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I want to come back to the word remember, and this is the last This is the last bit, and then we're going to go to a little bit of uh, Q&A here in a second, kind of. Um, the word remember here is really important. Like I said, it's to some degree we remember because it is woven into the fabric of the universe, and, and we're asked by the commandment to look back at, at, uh, at, the, at God's nature and want to uh, live into God's nature as one who practices rest regularly. The other part of remembering is that there is a, this whole other narrative in, in the world and in your lives that, uh, that tries to tell you who you are. And I think most of the time it's not that we don't know who we are or haven't been taught. I think we forget. Somebody say amen. I think we have moments of clarity where we've been loved well by people, we've been loved well by God, and then we simply forget. And I don't think we just forget because we are forgetful. I think we buy the lies around us. And one of the lies around us sounds like this. It looks like this. I don't know if you're going to be able to hear or see this, but we're going to try. This droid has evolved to do even more. Now it integrates your work email so you can be hooked up to everything you need to do. Now it does one gigahertz speed on a more intuitive keyboard.
efficiency. Introducing the new Droid 2 by Motorola, part of the next generation of DOS. Okay, aside from very clearly being an advertisement for a lesser piece of technology, because <laughs> um, I'm an Apple guy, um, did you catch the line there at the end? Turning you into an instrument of efficiency. This line right here, this is what I want to call the anti-gospel, and it is pervasive, it is relentless, it is the thing that the world around you wants to replace the love of God with. You are not beloved because you exist, you are worthwhile if you are productive. That is the anti-gospel. And there is not an inch of the world that is somehow not susceptible to this anti-gospel. It is chasing you down. It wants to make you into a machine. And if you don't think that's true, I want you to look at the crap the world is trying to sell you in order to keep you going. None of this is food. (laughs) This is not food. None of that is food. All of that, this is all garbage. This is all crap you have to put in your... This is the kind of stuff you put in a machine to keep a machine going. And I'm not 100% anti. Sometimes, once in a while, whatever, I get it. But if I have to put this garbage in my body regularly to keep me going, I'm just living wrong. Now, I don't fall for this stuff. Mine looks like this. When I was uh, when I was in college, um, I was taking a full load, and I had two jobs, including one of which was youth ministry. And so my schedule was pretty heavy, and I was doing my homework between like eleven thirty p.m. and like three in the morning. This is probably familiar to some of you. So I was drinking a significant amount of coffee. I did not know how much coffee I was drinking, and you're about to find out. So I'm at my mom's house doing my homework, uh, writing a paper because I didn't have a computer. And she had one of these old Macs with a clackety-clack uh, keyboard. So I'm, I'm clackety-clacking away. At, and as I'm clackety-clacking away, like, these fingers start feeling numb. These ones on my right hand. I've got this big old cup of coffee here as, I, as I'm typing. And I'm not thinking about this at all. I'm just, my, knee, my fingers are going numb. And, like, that kind of weirds me out. And I'm not a hypochondriac until I, until I am. And then I am. And so the, these are going numb. And then, like, and then I, like my whole hand kind of starts to feel fuzzy. And now I'm really freaking out. And I can feel my heart start to do this. And then my other hand. And now I'm, like, I'm losing it. So I call the doctor. We had a family doctor at the time. And I call his name is Davidson. I call the doctor's office. And I leave a message that was just, like, was just, like, was just blathering terror. At, like, 4 in the morning, I call. About 4.45, he calls, and he's like, hey, hey, slow down. Just listen. Um, I, the office opens at 6.30. I could probably be there by, like, 5.30. Can you leave and meet me at the office? And we'll just we'll, – I said, great. I'll, I'll, I'll be down there. So I, I get up, and I, and I leave, and I run by 7-Eleven, and I get another coffee on the way to the, uh, on the, way to the doctor's office. <laughs> and I get to the doctor's office, and I'm sitting there, and I had, I had one of those – it was a 32-ounce coffee jug mug, and I'm sitting there with it. And he goes, he goes, you know, you don't, you don't have any heart problems in your, in your history, and your family doesn't have a history of heart disease. Can I ask you how much coffee you're drinking? And I was like, well, why? why? Why would you ask that? Why, why, is, that, why is that relevant? Why is that, why, was that, why is that even on the table? And he, said, and he goes, well, like yesterday, did you have a lot of coffee? I'm like, no, no. That was, I, that was probably just a normal amount. It was probably normal. It was just I had to have this type of coffee. He's like, well, let's just walk through the day. How'd it go? I said, well, I woke up in the morning at like at like 4.45, 5 o'clock because I was substitute teaching at the time too. I would get phone calls. And so I, I woke up and my roommate and I had uh, two cups of coffee before I left. And then I drove and I, I drove to the school where I was substitute teaching. I got coffee on the way to the school. And then I got coffee in between uh, the first two classes. And then I got coffee when I left the school and I went to the campus where I do Young Life. 
And then I had coffee on campus with the students. And then I had coffee after I left that campus and I went to my other class. And then I had coffee during the other class. Then I had coffee between that and my late night class. And I had two cups of coffee during my four to seven class. And then I knew I had to do homework, so I got some coffee on the way back to the house. And then I was having coffee. And I walked through the day. And I, this is not an exaggeration. It's actually true. I had had 16 large coffees over the course of the day. And then my doctor said, he said, son, you can either taper back on the caffeine or just start doing speed. And I was like, huh? <laughs> do, you, do you know a guy? Or like, well, why, why do you bring that up? And, um, but like, what he was pointing at is like, you are not living well. Like, if in, in the, you're living at such a pace that you have to pump your body full of caffeine in order to make your life work. I was living too fast a pace. I hope this is resonating with you. And now I'm going to say something that like might get a little pushback and I'm okay with that. Uh, the pressure that you feel to finish school in four years um, is artificial because you might not finish in four years. And guess who doesn't care if you finish in four years? The one who loves you. That you finishing school in four years and what it might cost you in order to finish in four years is not worth your health. It's a lot to try to do all that you're trying to do and stay healthy. And if, you, if it costs you your health, it simply isn't worth it. I was living at too fast a pace and I was pumping my body full of chemicals instead of learning to practice rest. When you learn his book, Sabbath says, if we refuse to rest until we are finished, we will never rest until we die. You've heard it even said, I'll rest when I'm dead. That's not biblical. That's not good religion. It's not good humanity. Sabbath dissolves, watch me say it, the artificial urgency of our days. Most of the stuff that we freak out about with regards to deadlines, with regards to finishing and performance, most of it is just flat out made up either by us or by the culture around us. It's not downloaded from on high. There's no scriptural mandate that you have to finish college in four years at the cost of your health and your relationships. There just isn't one. And we can buy the artificial urgency. We can maybe do that, but recognize it at least as an artificial urgency. The thing that is not artificial is your life and your soul. The Sabbath is an invitation to stop and remember that you are not a machine. You're not defined by your productivity. You are beloved. Um, let me move through this. So I get why, how, and when. Let's do a little bit of how. So I don't know if you've heard about this book by a guy named Mark Buchanan. <laughs> um, it's called The Rest of God, Restoring Yourself by Restoring Sabbath. So Buchanan talks about the practice of the Sabbath by saying this. He goes, ultimately, this, the Sabbath practice breaks down to this. Cease from what is necessary, embrace that which gives life, and then do whatever you want. So let's say you set a day aside. What do you do on your Sabbath? You cease from what is necessary, embrace that which gives life, and then do whatever you want. Here's a, here's a practice I want to, I don't think we've got a ton of time. We have a little bit. I'm going to give you three minutes right now to do a thing. Everyone have something to write with? I want you to, I want you to make, a, make two lists right now. I want you to, on a piece of paper, new piece of paper, on one side of the paper, draw a line right down the middle. On one side of the paper, I want you to make a list of things that you are obliged to, things you have to do. And on the other side, you're going to make a list of things that you simply do enjoy, things that are just life-giving that you love. And here's, here's going to be some of the, some of the tension. But we'll come back to that in a second. I want you to spend three minutes right now just writing down, like, what are the things in your life that you're obliged to, things you have? 
to do. And then what are the things you do that are simply things you do enjoy that you simply like doing that add life and depth and happiness to you? I'm going to give you three minutes right now and then we'll come back. One more minute. Keep working for a second. I'm going to tell you one more story, and then we'll do a little a little conversation. This is my uh, that's my daughter. Her name is Caitlin. I call her the Bird. Uh, this is taken a little while ago. Um, she knows she's funny, and she's being funny in the picture. So um, my daughter um, is four years old now. I think she was two and a half when this picture was taken. And at that point, two and a half, she had developed something of, a, of an obsession with my phone. Um, She's still a little bit obsessed with the phone. I'm told that it's a phase and it'll wear off when she's a teenager. Um, Okay, that's a joke. So anyways, um, what she would do is when uh, she would ask for the phone and she would say, I see Caitlin. Because what she wanted to do with the phone is she wanted to open up the, the photos, my photos app, and look for pictures of herself. So I would hand her the phone and she would, you know, she would flip through, find the pictures, and she'd flip through until she saw pictures like this one, which is just her. But as she would do it, she would flip through and she would flip past pictures that she was in with other people contextually. And so I would see her flipping by pictures and I was like, oh, 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 bird, let me see, let me see, let me see that one. Let me, let me go, hold on. And she wouldn't give the, she wouldn't give the phone back to me. I don't know if you've tried to wrestle a phone out of the hand of a toddler, but it's like wrestling an alligator, uh, you know, in, you know, soaked in grease who has your phone. So, um, (laughs) I would eventually get the phone back and then I would be able to slowly flip through the pictures and show her herself in context so she could see herself in context. And you're starting to see where I'm going with this. Um, I want you to like your life and I want you to like yourself and I want you to see yourself. I want you to see yourself as beloved. I want to suggest though that in order for you and I to see ourselves, we have to relinquish the controls that we have over our lives so that we can receive our belovedness and let someone else show us ourselves in context. Sabbath is a relinquishing of the controls that we have over life so that we can see ourselves as beloved. If we simply practice our lives looking for ourselves the way we know ourselves, we will miss ourselves in context and we just won't be able to see ourselves. 
which is part of where this practice comes in. Let's come back to these two lists that I asked you to make. Um, and let's talk about it for a second. I'm going to jump out of screen share and uh, we can go to a little bit of a conversation here. Um, yes, cool. I'll get, get to that in a second, Rebecca, I promise. Um, so I want to, like, I would love to hear you talk about the making of your lists real quick. Uh, if you made a list, um, just give me a hands up or you can just unmute. Talk about making your list what, or talk. give me a couple things that are on your obliged versus joy list. Go. Let's see. we got a couple of hands up. Let me do this. Uh, Dominique, talk about your list. Lists. You there? Oh. Did you go away? Okay. Let's go to, uh, is it, uh, your last name is Schaefer or Schaefer. It's, uh, is it Jabian? Jabian? It's Jabian. Uh, Jabian. Go ahead. Uh, so one of mine that I have on there is, um, I felt bad writing this one down on my obligation side, but like spiritual disciplines, especially for prayer for me, it feels like it's really, uh, I'm off and on with different ways of praying, but it, it feels like the way I pray is a lot more, um, exhausting. Like, you know, I know compared to some other people, perhaps it's really not all that much, but I get burnt out like a lot with, and it feels a lot like an obligation with praying for myself and for others. So that, that's one that peaked my list. Yeah, great. So that's a really great insight. And again, this is where this is where this practice can be really, really helpful. And I'm going to say a couple of things about that in a second. One, um, <laughs> so the way you pray right now, you just said the way you pray, you kind of find a little bit exhausting. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be praying, correct? Like you want to be praying. You want to be connecting with God. At the same time, if my schedule is jam-packed and, the, and I've only got like that 15 or 20 minute devotional time every day, I don't have time to practice new things. The Sabbath can be a day in which we, like, try out some new stuff. Like, I used to not know that, like, when it comes to my actual practice of prayer, I can't really, I can. It's harder for me to sit still. Like, what I thought praying was, was, like, I would sit still and do the, that was prayer. I got to sit still, get real quiet. What I learned by practicing Sabbath is like I actually pray – I am clearer and feel more connected to God if I'm walking, if I'm outside, if I'm moving. And I learned to do that because I gave myself space by practicing Sabbath. I had a place to practice new disciplines and to experiment with my spiritual practices. The trap of spiritual practice is that we get locked into a particular thing and then we don't have room to actually practice. We just have to get it done. And so prayer becomes a thing we have to get done, but we only know like the one or two ways. And so it feels like we're disconnected from God. Sabbath can be a day in which like this person says it, writing stuff out on a piece of paper and then lighting on fire. This person says walking. This person says like they, you know, sit in silence for 10 minutes and like all these different things you hear from people. Sabbath can be a place where we practice and experiment with new things. But that's a great thing to find on your on your obliged list because connecting with Christ isn't your obligation. It can be a joy. The ways that we connect with Christ can feel very obligatory. So have a space where you can set yourself free from that and try new things. Um, let's go to uh, – is it Michaela? Michaela Morgan? Hi. Yes, it is Michaela. So I wrote down on my list basically – 
pretty much everything I'm involved in, like internship to book club, um, the group I'm in for Jubilee, school, church, yeah. prayer, Bible study, work, relationships, my romantic relationship with my boyfriend and working out at the gym. And yeah. I honestly, I'll be honest, I was hesitant to go to the other side because I've done, I'm so burnt out and have no yes. time for myself that I could, I yeah. felt guilty saying it, but I couldn't even write anything I enjoyed because I'm just so tired. Yes. And I know I love the people, like my friends and my family. I know I love my boyfriend and I love working out, even though it's hard sometimes, but, and yeah. I love the group I'm in because it's helped me with my faith uh, throughout college. But like you yeah. said, I think I've done it so much to the point, if I'm completely being honest, I, you know, like I was hesitant writing it down. So, so a couple of things. One is like, first of all, thanks for being vulnerable because that's like, that's the real stuff, right? And that's what the Sabbath discipline can do is it can help clarify that stuff. It's like, these are things that I do love, but I'm starting to feel a little bit of a disconnect because I'm tired in them. Long term, that becomes I'm tired of them and I don't want to live there. The Sabbath can become the place where we, where we, I like, we can practice and be in rest so that we can return to the things that we love and love them. Here's the other thing I want to come back around to that you said that is really important and also really, really hard. And I'm going to bring this up. So the first time I, the first time I made my lists, you'll see on my obligation, writing, songwriting, study, sermon prep, blogging, editing, video work, admin, email, duh. And then right here, what I wrote, I wrote uh, counseling and mentorship. And what I was doing when I wrote that is I was actually kind of I, – I was I was dodging what was actually going on in me. And I'm going to resonate with you real deep right now, Michaela, is like I was recognizing that the overwhelming majority of relationships I had in my life were not life-giving. I'm going to say that again. I was recognizing that the overwhelming majority of relationships I had in my life were not life-giving. That if I was challenged to say, here's a day that I'm set aside, I've set aside just to be at rest and feel connected to God and, and be okay and happy, this is what the day is for. If I thought about like, who would I be okay hanging out with? There were very, very few people on the list of folks that are actually just life-giving to me. What I recognize is I felt very much like Christ on the, on the, uh, on the path to Jairus' house with all these people jostling around and that I'm being touched and there's power being drained out of me all the time. I didn't recognize it at the time, but the Sabbath practice clarified for me that I really need to identify life-giving relationships. And I hadn't given myself the time to say, if you had a day to just feel alive, who would you take with you? It was a painfully and embarrassingly short list of people that I found who were like actually just life-giving friends. But how vitally important for me was it to recognize that? Which then clarified for me that like, here's Jesus who spent time around thousands and tens of thousands. He had the 72, but he really had the 12. But even within the 12, can we be honest? He really had the two. That's going to be us. One of the things that gets clarified, and it's so important to learn to do now, early in life, is that there will only be so many life-giving friendships. And I will most of the time be around people who are asking or even demanding things of me, and I will get drained. But if I can identify the people around me who are life-giving, then when I'm around the majority of folks who are demanding things of me, I can be healthier, I can be whole, and I can be okay with the fact that these relationships are far more one-sided. That's a great insight, Michaela. Thank you. I'm going to stop the sharing and...
go back to this. Frank, you had your hand up. How you doing? Great. What's going on? Great. Yeah, uh, I made my list, obviously. Uh, you have obligations versus stuff you would like to do. Obligations are like I have physical therapy, cleaning the house, food shopping, going to the drugstore, uh, and even uh, Sunday morning church services uh, where I participate is an obligation. Yes, uh, I'm sure your lists are all pretty similar. I would I would imagine, but I had a wise 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 man years ago tell me. He said, "If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy." True, <laughs> and that and that just blew my mind. And so, but 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 just the discipline of a single Sabbath one day doesn't always work in this society of got to get going. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to keep your nose to the grindstone. So I see it more as little mini Sabbaths every day to stop, stop for 20 minutes and just re- it, things, everything will be there when you're done. So I totally. see. So my, again, so my, my pushback on that would, would be Frank. One is that it ignores the commandment aspect of it. No, you um, still do. You still do Sunday. You just do little Sundays every day. Yeah, and I think it becomes easier to do those Sundays to do those like small breaks if I am if I've forged in myself uh, like a like a dependency and a connectedness to and like a familiarity with the posture of rest in me. It's harder. To simply block out those those twenty minutes, it's harder to block out those fifteen minutes. It's harder to block out that hour if I'm if the if the overall posture of my life is predominantly just I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, and then I take a break. What I think the full what a full day Sabbath does, and that's why it's as necessary as it is, is that actually like I get familiar with who I am in a posture of rest. So that I know what it feels like, so that I'm not dependent on that 20 minutes. I don't put so much pressure on the 20 minutes I can get or the hour I get in the middle of a day. No, like I can, I can practice that, but I don't really know. And this is part of what the list does, what the the, the list practice does. I don't know what it looks like. And that when I when I made my first two lists, and you might have experienced it just now, it was weird to try to put the put things on the joy list because I didn't really, I wasn't familiar enough with things in my life that were simply joyful and simply restful. And I was also like a couple of people mentioned, like I was kind of bummed at like some of the things that were on my obligation list. Like someone said, like their prayer practices were on their obligation list. I was bummed at that. I wanted to be able to reapproach that. I wanted to be able to reapproach church as a person who was a pastor for 20 years. Like I wanted to be able to reapproach the practice of church without that sense of like, I'm just here because I'm supposed to be here. I wanted to reapproach it with joy. And, and I needed a spacious place in order to reorient my soul. I have found that like trying to make that happen in small spaces as I move along doesn't quite turn the trick that my soul, my body, and my psychology needs. I need more space in order to familiarize myself with my rested self, with my whole self, so that when I do those small practices, they actually are tapping into kind of a deeper well rather than just being the thing in and of themselves. Chris, you have your hand up. Yeah. So, you know, Justin, you may have 
commented on this. If you did, I apologize. I missed it. But, um, you know, this week with, with Jubilee, I encouraged my students. I said, hey, when are you going to take when you when are you going to Sabbath? Because Saturday you're not Sabbathing. That's not a that's not your Sabbath. Um, so then I got, you know, I got to do this. I got to do that. Blah, blah, blah. You know, so I said, OK, look, if you can do, say, for example, five o'clock on Tuesday to five o'clock on Wednesday is a Sabbath. I think that that's the next best. It's not as good as a literal 24 hour, you know, whole day. What are your yep. thoughts about that? Um, so this is the way I, I can tell you um, more specifically by showing you. I'll go back to this thing real quick. Um, this is the way it looks like in practice for me. So get out of there. Uh, one more. So you'll look at the calendar here and you'll see if you look at the purple days for Sabbath. Uh, this is from a couple years ago. So my Sabbaths never happen uh, on Sundays, like almost ever. And the reason is because, one, I was pastoring a church for 20 years, and it's work. Like, I'm working on the Sabbath. And even now, as a speaker, teacher, musician person, 90% of the time, I'm like, I'm working or or traveling. Like, I'm doing some sort of work-related thing on a Sunday. So Sundays just don't work for me, uh, Sabbath-wise. I, most of my Sabbath times, like now, they'll be on, on on sometimes on Saturdays, but like you can see, like of the nineteenth and the twenty sixth, they're on they're on Mondays. So a couple notes here: one, I map it out ahead of time. The very first thing I put on my calendar when I map out my calendar, I'll sit down and I'll use my calendar. I map out three to five months, and the first thing that goes on my calendar or when when am I going to Sabbath? And I put them on there and I try to, as best I possibly can, make everything else work around that commitment. It is a commandment. And so I'm trying to treat it like a commandment. Also, I need it and I'm trying to treat it like I need it. And because I need it and because it's a commandment, but it's a commandment by a God who's gracious and kind, there isn't a particular script, uh, prescripted day. I just need to find the time in the week. So I will map it out and my Mondays work because they're, they're not dominant work days. Once in a while, and you'll see on the calendar here, I don't like it, a day I mapped out doesn't work, and I'll actually, like I'll like skip a week. So like Jubilee week for a lot of folks who work in the CCO or students might not be a week in which you can get a full day Sabbath. Then guess who's not going to strike you with lightning? Again, it is a commandment. It is also a commandment by a gracious God who wants us to practice this. And then we come back to the commandment, the commandment conversation that Jesus has as he's walking through the field, and one of his disciples pulls a a head of corn off has a bite of the corn and the hyper religious are like it's the sabbath and you're not supposed to be working and jesus reminds them about all the commandments but specifically about the sabbath he said that you know you're not created so that you can obey the law the law was created so that you would be healthy and whole it was created for you so how does this work for you let's figure out the shape of your, of your life let's create a sabbath discipline that actually works with the, the 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 way your life is being shaped which is a work by the way that god is also doing let's plug it in and then let as your as your life grows and develops just like your prayer life has to, has to change like maybe mondays don't work for the sabbath anymore so like it's there is uh, there's a necessity and a flexibility in the scheduling and the practice of the Sabbath. It won't always be the same day and you won't always do the same things. Again, it comes back to practice. Get in, 
schedule it out several weeks, several months out, try your best. As you try your best, you'll get better at knowing yourself, and that's really the bottom line, is how does this actually work for your life, and how do you meet with Christ in it? That actually ends up being the story. All right, I think we are close to at our time, yeah? Yeah, um, maybe one more question, Justin? Clay. Clay's got his hand up. Go for it, man. Um, so I am one to, that tends to overcommit. Um, and so how do you suggest, um, to like commit to things in a way that like leaves space for the things that wouldn't go on a calendar, things that kind of come up naturally, um, in life, things that are unexpected, um, and do it in a way that like you leave space for these things and then they don't end up pushing all of your other have to do's into your Sabbath. Good. Great question. So, um, one, Clay, a little bit of freedom and grace for you here. You are going to overcommit for a while and you're going to end up feeling overcommitted. That's just going to be part of how you live your life for a bit. So pay attention to that where you like, I'm not going to say don't overcommit. You're gonna, I'm not saying don't go do, I'm also not saying go do it. Just know that you're going to and pay attention, like recognize that as wisdom in you right now, that that is the spirit of Christ speaking to you. Like, hey, you have a tendency to overcommit. So that's a learning process you're going to be in. I would suggest you spend some time on occasion journaling about that. Like, okay, what, like, where was I feeling overcommitted? What was it to? And then you get to recognize some of those patterns. Like, you know what? Maybe it's not overcommitment. Maybe it's that every time I commit to this particular thing, I feel like trash. So maybe it's not overcommitment. Maybe it's actually it's this thing that I don't want to be doing. So one, recognize that. Two, and this is the the longer term thing, um, the unexpected. You can't plan for the unexpected. And if you are someone who I'm, I think this is what I'm picking up and and you can tell me if I'm wrong offline, but like, I think part of what you're saying is like, I like being spontaneous and I like giving the spontaneous yes. You're like, I want you, you should be free to be that person, which means that you need to make your immobile, your, uh, not immobiles. You need to make your obligations immovable. So if you're going to be flexible with your commitments, if you got, if you want to be free to say yes, like in freedom, then make, make your obligations like specifically like Sabbath rest and prayer, make, put those things like in a place in which they are immovable, which is, again, I would say you look at your calendar and you map out, these are Sabbath days. These are Sabbath practices. And like those things get solidified. The world around you will ask, will ask you to solidify other things because your workplace will put a calendar on you too. Can I get an amen? School will put a calendar. School will put a calendar on you as well. If you map things out and you solidify the things that are healthy for you, then when you get then like you have then outside of or around your like solidified uh, obligations, you have actual freedom to be more spontaneous and say yes and commit to things. So again, two things: one, for a season, for a long season, probably you're going to have the tendency to overcommit. Figure out what that is. Like, is that particular things? Is that a pattern thing? Is that a like like I don't pay attention to that. Like, do some work. What is what actually is that? Two, the Sabbath is a way for you to set aside specific time and lock it down on a calendar so that when you are being free in, in your commitment, your kind of like uh, more spontaneous agreements, you know that you can make those spontaneous choices and not compromise things that are vital and important. 